The Old Testament for this seventh Sunday after Epiphany comes from Genesis chapter 45, starting with verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer them, answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your, brother, your, your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You, should, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. The epistle reading for today comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. For as by a man came death... By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Why are we in danger every hour, I protest? Brothers, my, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory for the sun, and another glory for the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. My soul now praise your Maker, that all within me bless his name, who makes you full partaker of mercies more than you dare claim. Forget him not whose meekness still bears with all your sin, who heals your every weakness, renews your life within whose grace and care are endless and saved you through the past, who leaves no sufferer friendless, but rights the wronged at last. I'm sure that this hymn resonates with each one of us uh, on different levels. 
We all want healing for our weaknesses, for the renewal that God promises in our lives. Do you identify with that sufferer and hope that all the wrongs of this life will be righted in the end? Our Old Testament reading today uh, is part of a story of one who endured great wrong. You'll remember how Joseph was born to Jacob by his favorite wife, Rachel. She actually bore Jacob two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. She died in childbirth with Benjamin. And Jacob was um, robbed of his favorite wife in that act. <coughs> and so Jacob loves Joseph, the first son of Rachel. He loves Joseph better and more than all of his other sons. Now he, he loves Benjamin because she, he is from Rachel also. Loves him maybe second, but loves Joseph the most. And you remember how he gave Joseph that splendid coat of many colors and he doted on Joseph. Uh, Joseph is 17. He's at home. His brothers are off caring for the flocks of his father. And he sends Joseph to check on them to see how they're doing. And his brothers see him coming and they grab him. They would have killed him except that Reuben said, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's throw him instead into this pit. So they did that. And then they sit down and they don't care about Joseph and his cries in the pit. They sit down to eat a meal and to rejoice in what they have done there. And um, then Reuben somehow isn't there, but the other brothers, they see some traitors coming by and they say, hey, let's sell him. We don't, we don't, want to, we don't put our hands on him. We won't kill him. Uh, we'll sell him into slavery. So they do that. And Reuben comes back then and says, what have you done? Reuben wanted to set him free, apparently. And they go back and they tell the story, right? They put the goat's blood on, on the coat. and They tell, tell about this wild animal that uh, must have gotten Joseph. And of course, Jacob is heartbroken there. Joseph is taken to Egypt by these traders, and uh, he is sold into slavery there. He ends up in Potiphar's house. You remember, and uh, then there's this incident with Potiphar's wife, and Joseph is unjustly accused and thrown into prison. And the uh, keys are uh, thrown away, proverbially. And then he interprets some dreams there in prison for some of the prisoners and, the, and tells those prisoners, hey, when you get out and these things come true, remember me here. Uh, remember what I've done for you. But, of course, they forget. One of the, one of the ones that's released, uh, according to the dream, and then uh, he is put to death by the king, by the pharaoh, and uh, then the other one is, is released, and uh, he goes back to his station serving and um, forgets all about Joseph. And finally, when Pharaoh has a dream uh, that ends up being this dream about the famine and the, the good years of plenty, then this steward remembers Joseph in prison and tells Pharaoh. And Pharaoh brings him out and he interprets the dream and he puts Joseph over all of Egypt so that he can be in charge of putting aside grain during the seven years of plenty so that they'll have enough in the seven years of famine. 
and this famine is widespread. And uh, Joseph's brothers there, um, uh, back in in uh, in the land of Israel, they they get sent by the father to Egypt. You remember to buy grain, and then there's this back and forth. Uh, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph sends them back with the grain and puts the their money back in their sacks. And they get back there and they say, "Oh no, look at this! They're going to think that we stole our money and stole the grain." They come on back after the grain is gone, and um, Joseph uh, does the same kind of thing with them, but then uh, accuses them of being spies. And they say, no, no, our, our one brother is back there, Benjamin, back there with our father. Joseph says, all right, you, you uh, uh, leave uh, Simeon here and you go get Benjamin and bring him. And then I'll know that you're telling the truth. So they go to the father and they say, we've got to bring Benjamin. No, father doesn't want to do this. Benjamin's favorite. He's already lost Joseph. No, they've got to bring him. So they bring Benjamin back. And then, uh, then we come into the story here uh, where our Old Testament reading picks up. Joseph has gone through so much, but now he is over all of Egypt. And the brothers are there in front of him. And now Joseph is given an opportunity. An opportunity that uh, many people would like to have. He's got to make a decision. He is second only to Pharaoh. And he could imprison these brothers of his. He could sell them into slavery. He could deny their request for food, for grain. He could do any number of things to take his revenge on them. They all would be just punishments for what they had done to him. They are powerless and he is mighty. Will he exact revenge or will he be merciful? His word, whatever he decides, will be instantly obeyed. And his brothers who were so cruel and who treated him so mercilessly, they stand before him waiting his decree. And would you like to stand there in Joseph's shoes, in Joseph's sandals? He is one of the most powerful people in the world. And for all practical purposes, he rules all of Egypt. And he has his brothers there at his mercy. How would you like that kind of power? The ring on his finger, that signet ring, means that he can make decisions in the name of Pharaoh. He can call out the army if he wants to. He can sign a treaty. He can deal out life and death with a word. The ring gives power. But maybe you don't want Joseph's power. Maybe instead you might want his wealth. The other rings on his fingers say, I am fabulously rich. Joseph wants for nothing. His sandals are the original Crocs. They are made of the best that money can buy. Whatever's popular in the Nile Valley that, that year, whether it's crocodile or alligator or whatever. But maybe the wealth doesn't mean anything to you. Maybe you would prefer instead just enough control over your own life to be able to direct it this way or that way, to smooth over the rough places, to make life easier for yourself. After all, you don't mind living simply and humbly. 
But even if you don't covet that kind of control, I'll bet there's one other thing that Joseph has that we would all like to have. Joseph sees clearly the plan for his life. As his brothers are standing there uh, watching his face, waiting to see what he will do as he has accused them of being spies, searching his face for some clue as to how this rich, powerful ruler in, in front of them will treat them, Joseph is looking back over his life, seeing God's hand in every place and knowing that God has been guiding him so that he can save countless lives. Joseph sees the plan of God. And wouldn't we like to see and to know that in our own lives? Wouldn't we like to be rid of all the worry and the wondering and the what-ifs that plague us? Wouldn't we like to sleep soundly, knowing that we are right where God wants us to be? Wouldn't we like to look back at our lives and be able to see how God's hand has been working, has been guiding us each and every day? I think we'd like that because God's plan a lot of times for us is confusing and hidden and complicated and unclear. But not for Joseph. For him, this moment, it's all very clear. The pit, the slavery, the years in prison, the dreams, his ascendancy to power in Egypt, in it all, he sees God's guiding hand. God has brought him to this moment for a reason. And Joseph, seeing the selflessness of Judah and the concern of his brothers for Benjamin, his father's next favorite, he knows that they've changed. And Joseph can't control himself anymore. And he cries out, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers there, when they recognized that this mighty ruler who stands before them is the very brother that they wanted to kill, their brother for whom they showed no mercy, whom they sold into slavery and faked his death, when they believed the unbelievable truth that it is really him, it says they are dismayed. And I'd add shocked and surprised and very much afraid. Joseph had the ability and the right to sell them into slavery, to exact his revenge on them and on their households even. But God had used a long string of hurts and heartbreaks and humiliations to bring Joseph to this moment. And what will, will Joseph do? What will be the fate of his brothers? And of course, Joseph shows unrestrained mercy. He gives them life. And the scales in his decision didn't just tip one way by a few grains. There was no contest. The mercy that Joseph shows to his brother is the result of his looking back over his life and realizing that in all of it, God was leading him, caring for him, preparing him to give life to Egypt, to the surrounding peoples, and to even his own family. 
You don't need to fear me, Joseph says. I'll take care of you and your families. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. God sent me here to preserve life, not to take it away. Sometimes we might like to stand in Joseph's shoes. We might like to have power or influence or wealth or even just to know God's plan for our lives. But it's important for us to realize and to remember and to recall the hardships that first calloused Joseph's feet, the beatings and the imprisonment. And it's possible that under his rich robes of his rank that he bears scars from that imprisonment, from those years of slavery. Sometimes those scars are the cost of living in God's plan. In Joseph's case, the necessary hurts take him from being a, a bratty, privileged child who thought he, was, he had the world in his hands to being an instrument of life in the hand of God. And if you want to know God's plan for you as Joseph knows it, then stand with him in this moment before his brothers. When all things make sense to him, if you want that, then you must also stand in those years of struggling, those years of, of harm and hurt with eyes of faith to see that God is doing it. Joseph was wronged over and over again. He could so many times have claimed to be a victim, and rightly so. Life had absolutely let him down. Those who were supposed to have cared for him instead had beaten him down. But Joseph chose to wait patiently for God, for his victory, the victory that would be revealed to him someday. And this is faith at work. And there is another who was despised by, by his brothers, the favorite of his father, one who endured great wrongs, who entered the pit, who stood trial for crimes he did not commit, one whose righteous character was publicly crucified along with the rest of him, who chose to give life instead of death, to give his bread for your hunger, and who offers mercy instead of revenge. Remember that there is another who tips the scales in your favor by his merciful favor. And of course he asks nothing of you who have been recipients of that grace other than the impossible. <laughs> that you show mercy and forgive others as he has forgiven you. I say the impossible because our weak flesh is absolutely unable to forgive as perfectly as he does. And so we are right to sing today and every day, my soul now praise your maker. Let all within me bless his name, who makes you full partaker of mercies more than you dare claim. Forgiving others who have wounded us, showing mercy to them when they don't deserve it, laying down our pride, laying down what is due to us, laying down our very selves for someone else, all of this will wound us. But through the agony of it all, 
like Joseph and like Jesus, we will be living the real plan of God for our lives. Not one of climbing ladders toward the top, as one pastor says, but of one of lying at the bottom of the pit with trust in our hearts, with patience born of faith that God can work through whatever mess we find today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.